Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hey everyone, Ben Keaty here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast. Hope you're having a great Saturday. I am working on getting out an episode with Eric Anderson. He is the Senior Digital Assets Research Analyst at GlobalX ETFs. So we had a great discussion. GlobalX has a couple of crypto products, but we also discussed their entire suite of products. Uh, Eric has a fascinating background, and this is a great conversation. So hope you enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Eric, what's up, man? Hey, Ben. How's it going? Thanks for having Good. me. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm glad we were able to do this. But um, for everyone listening, today I have on Eric Anderson. He's a senior research analyst covering digital assets at Global X. But maybe Eric, give us, you know, your elevator pitch, your background, and we can go from there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, like you mentioned, I lead our digital assets research team at GlobalX ETFs. Um, maybe I can just step back quickly and give you a little background on how I got there. So um, I went to school out in Boston. I went to Tufts University. I studied international relations, so basically political science and French. So I was very concentrated, not in finance, um, but really was thought I was going to have a career in kind of diplomacy, working in the government somewhere. Um, and during that time, I, I kind of developed this real interest in kind of like economics, human coordination, game theory, all these different um, kind of interesting niches. Um, so then when I graduated, um, career in diplomacy didn't work out for me. And I got a job in finance, thought I should learn a little bit about the real world sure. um, outside of the liberal arts route. And um, I ended up at a, a asset manager called Hull Capital Partners, which is based in San Francisco. And Whole Capital caters towards uh, very wealthy individuals, families, foundations. And I basically got a six-year education on what portfolio management is, how to interact with clients, and just basically all the nuts and bolts of, of finance. Um, so that kind of really turned me on to the amazing opportunities that exist in this industry. It's so big, and there's so many things you can do. And during that process, I kind of stumbled across this thing called crypto, which uh, in 2017, uh, admittedly, I just didn't understand at all. Um, was intrigued by it because I had a lot of friends involved with it, and they were making you know ridiculous sums of money overnight. Um, but I but I didn't invest anything in 2017, uh, much to my um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. Would wish I could have, but. Um, Anyways, that's kind of what hooked me was that initial price run up. And from there, I just started exploring the, the space and kind of going down the proverbial rabbit hole, as we all like to say, um, you know, reading a ton of Chris Dixon articles and following the guys at Bankless and, and yeah. going down that rabbit hole um, and just kind of discovering this new world that was that I had never heard of before. Um, and so then when 2020 and 2021 came around, I started seeing there being a little bit more institutional interest in crypto and blockchain um, and eventually decided that I would try to parlay my 
uh, background in finance at Hall Capital into trying to find a, a way to get it start a career in crypto is this thing I was spending all of my time doing. So I figured I may as well get involved in it professionally. Yeah. And um, GlobalX presented a really great opportunity for me to mesh both of those worlds together. GlobalX is a highly respected asset manager. We specialize in thematic ETFs. Um, so perhaps we can go into that a little bit later. Sure. Um, but digital assets was a new realm that they were focusing on. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a really interesting opportunity for me to kind of take this knowledge I'd gotten in crypto and uh, blend that with um, working at more of a traditional financial institution and interacting with more traditional financial clients. So that's how I got here. And uh, it's been it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, yeah, you, you've got a similar sort of founding story to me. I got involved in crypto in fall of 2017, like I think a lot of people did. There's certainly like a founding class there for sure. Um, but yeah, I had a couple of buddies who kind of pointed it out to me and I thought it was interesting and just kind of kept going from there. Um, you went, you know, asset management route. I went podcast route. So there we go. Um, well, they both play important roles in the space for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Um, I mean, there's obviously been a hell of a lot of stuff to talk about over the last couple of years, but um, maybe let's start with maybe just a little bit more about you. What was it that drew you to crypto? So you have, you know, uh, I guess like an institutional high net worth background. Did that play any kind of role in how you thought about it? Or did you just approach it as an asset class? Or was it just gambling? Like, how, how did you no. kind of approach it back in 2017? It's a great question. Honestly, the thing that um, I that sticks with me the most was this kind of inflection point. It has nothing to do with my um, experience at Paul Capital necessarily. Obviously, that provided me with a lot of gateway into talking about crypto as an investment asset class. And I got some exposure through that route. But the first thing that made me really see the light in terms of what crypto could offer the world was this memory I have of first using uh, an, uh, a website like Facebook and just thinking about how I used to interact with that platform and what it's become today. And the thing that sticks with me most is I remember Facebook being this website I would go to and you could create anything you wanted on your profile. You could customize it to do whatever you want. You could have games on your profile. You could um, interact with friends in unique, fun ways. Um, and then one day, a lot of that functionality of Facebook just kind of disappeared. And mm -hmm. I thought that that was strange. And it kind of changed how I used the platform to the point where I don't, I don't really use Facebook anymore uh, at all. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like this huge like repository of just stuff, you know. Like right. I yeah, same way. Like I'll look at Instagram, but I barely touch Facebook these days. Yeah, exactly. And what I think was I kind of grew up in the MySpace era. So I was yeah. used to this ability to have this like kind of more open source network where you could um kind of plug in all these random applications on your profile and really make it what you wanted to make it. And to me, that was kind of when the internet used to be weird, let's call it. Sure, weird, yeah. being, weird being a good thing, kind yeah. of uh, diverse, and you never knew quite what you were going to get. Um, and then my experience with Facebook since then um, was just felt much more curated, much more um, manicured, I guess is a good word for it. Um, yeah. And it kind of it kind of made me sad a little bit. And so when I first heard about crypto um 
this this way to make um, certain guarantees to people interacting on the network that what a platform is can't be changed anymore. This immutable characteristic of blockchains that really that really rung true with me and and kind of was the initial thing that that kind of turned the light switch for me. So instead of having a company that's able to just unilaterally say, hey, we're not going to have any of these other third company, third party uh, companies producing content on our website, on a blockchain and in the promise of Web3, you can't do that. And so for me, I think that that was kind of the initial hook. It was just understanding what is kind of Web3, what is the potential of this space? Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, just kind of went fully, fully headfirst into the space. Interesting. You know, in all the times I've asked that question, I think you're the first person who's ever equated their interest in crypto to MySpace and Facebook. So you get some uh, token kudo points there. Um, That's really interesting. I mean, I have heard, I guess, over the years from just listening to podcasts and people about, you know, sort of the internet going through this evolutionary phase of like, it's brand new, early adopters, anything's possible. And then you get you know, for for lack of a better word, consolidation, right? And then you have major players, processes are implemented, things change. Do you, I mean, maybe you can loop this into how you think about digital assets at GlobalX, but do you kind of view, like, where do you view crypto, I guess? And like, what are the risks to, I guess, the promised land, right? Of like an open source, free, fair, creative, you know, yeah, yeah, financial no. services, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great question. And I think that something that's very intimidating for people first getting into the space is the broadness of what Web3 could be. Um, yeah. I grew up in the early 90s. So kind of was at the very, you know, I grew up with the internet being this thing that we all had access to. But I still remember the days when the internet user experience was this like terrible platform. And I remember it being used for kind of like silly reasons, you know, like, yeah, uh, I know a lot of people remember it's like the internet existed and people didn't really understand like what it was going to be used for. It was like, okay, I can read a magazine in paper form or I could read the same magazine on the internet. But what am I really getting from reading it on the internet? That's different. Um, And so I think it can be very challenging to, um, look at crypto right now and try to extrapolate what it's going to become because it's just this broad, flexible category that can be kind of amorphous almost. Um, to me, the way that I think about crypto and its promise is basically in, and perhaps blockchain is a, is a easier way of, of talking about this, but as kind of like the intellectual property rights mechanism of the digital age. So with the understanding that we are all going to be spending more and more time online all, you know, for from now all into the future. In fact, I was just looking at some data, looking at the uh, data usage of mobile phone users through the years and every year it gets higher and higher and higher, basically exactly straight up. (laughs) So with that understanding that we're going to be spending a, a forever increasing amount of our time online consuming data um, that we are going to need some way to manage intellectual property online in a digital format. And I think that blockchains and in some regards, crypto offers a really 
interesting way to be able to provide that service to humanity. Um, so that's kind of how I view the promise of it is this intellectual property layer of the internet. You might call it like a value layer of the internet, but uh, broadly something that can allow us to ensure that what is ours is ours and to be able to verifiably prove that. Yeah, I I mean, it's certainly one of the big themes I think I consistently hear about with air quotes crypto is just, you know, your digital ownership rights and how you grant or restrict access to what is important to you online. Um, oh, man, I just had some and I totally forgot about it. Uh, what was it? I'm, I'm going to lose it here. Um, let's what see. I do- Go ahead. Oh, no. What I was just going to say is what I do think is really interesting about the opportunity right now. So you asked about risks. And this space is obviously ripe with risk. Um, You know, we've all seen it in the news, whether it's an FTX or a Celsius or one of these kind of like centralized, more centralized entities that are um, have not been the best actors in the space. So from a risk perspective, I think it's really important for people to understand that this is this is i mean quite literally like a technological frontier and it's uncertain what the outcome is going to look like i mean i think about in um you know early 2000s could anyone have ever imagined uber for example um as as a a company that kind of is involved in our daily lives every day no I, i don't think that many people could have foreseen that happening for a variety of reasons and I think that the way where crypto is in its adoption cycle right now and, and blockchain as well is that we can surmise what might be down the road. We can think about the ways that blockchain and crypto can apply to parts of our lives that are present today. Like, how can we put real estate on the blockchain or how could we, um, you know, kind of duplicate things that already exist into blockchain and crypto rails? Sure. Um, and while I think that that's important, I think that there's also a need to understand that there's a lot of ideas out there that we are going to look back in 10 years and say, well, I didn't even know that that would have been possible. So okay. there's a lot of opportunity here. There's also certainly a lot of risk here. Um, so just always want to keep in mind that investors should be approach this with optimism, but also with some skepticism as well uh, to really do your research and uh, consume really good educational material, um, sure. sure. Which is what we try to do at Global X is provide that kind of first line of defense and research and kind of um, separate the noise from the signal. Uh, gotcha. How how do you guys work with clients on this topic? Because like I've known Global X for a long time. I've been in wealth management essentially since college. Um, And I, you know, I know you guys kind of as the thematic shop and in preparing for this podcast, I went and looked and I didn't see, you know, a Bitcoin ETF or uh, really, I guess, any digital asset specific plays. So I'm curious, um, how, uh, how does GlobalX think about it if you don't have like an immediate product offering to access the space? So we are first, maybe let's just talk about Global X. Um, we are a issuer of thematic ETFs. That's our bread and butter. So um, perhaps I'm not sure to what level your your listeners are educated about what ETFs are, but maybe just a quick background. Sure. ETFs or exchange traded funds are simply a 
kind of a wrapper to put around investments that provides investors with a really cheap um, and cost-effective way to gain diversification in a portfolio. Now, you can do that through... There's ETFs that offer exposure to all different kinds of parts of the market. Um, Popular ones that people might have in their 401k are like a S&P 500 ETF uh, or a NASDAQ 100 ETF. Um, but ETFs can also get very specific and allow investors sure. to express certain viewpoints in their portfolio. So that's more of like the thematic route that we try to specialize in at Global X, in which we are an industry leader in. Um, so allowing investors to express very particular viewpoints in their portfolio, whether that be a bullish view on infrastructure, healthcare, or digital assets in this case. Um, and we actually do have two um, uh, ETF products that provide exposure to digital assets. The first one is called BKCH, which is the Global X blockchain ETF. And this is our kind of our flagship um, ETF uh, product that provides investors with a really kind of pure play uh, exposure to the publicly traded market of digital asset companies. So companies that are involved with blockchain tech or yeah. the crypto ecosystem at large. Yeah. And we, we kind of think about the portfolio in a number of different sleeves. Um, one, the probably the primary sleeve is digital asset miners, mostly sure. they're Bitcoin mining companies. Yeah. Um, we have digital asset hardware producers. So these are generally companies that produce like the ASIC chips that are used by yeah. Bitcoin miners. Yep. Um, we have digital asset exchanges, so company like Coinbase, perhaps, and then uh, a broader category that I'd like to call like digital asset application and integration, which is simply companies that are just integrating blockchain into their business models. Um, so that provides investors with a really um, kind of well-rounded exposure to the publicly traded universe. And then we also have a product called Bits, uh, which is the Global X uh, Bitcoin strategy ETF. And that's simply a roughly 50% allocation to BKCH, the product I just mentioned, yeah, and a 50% exposure to uh, Bitcoin futures contracts. So um, okay. kind of a niche offering uh, yeah. that allows for you to get a little bit of a higher correlation to Bitcoin price um, more, more organically. Sure. Do... Maybe you can share this, maybe you can't, but what is, I guess, the breakdown of maybe retail ownership versus institutional ownership. And maybe to layer on that, if you can't answer it, is when when you are talking with clients, what is it that you hear from them about digital assets currently? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, I haven't looked recently, but I think we're generally at a pretty close split between institutional and retail, leaning okay. a little bit more heavily towards retail. Uh, don't... Uh, don't take that to the bank, but that is my um, that's my understanding uh, as of most recently. Sure. Um, in terms of what people and clients are talking about with digital assets, I think that there is. I think that 2022 did a bit of harm to the public perception of crypto sure. <laughs> um, with events like I mentioned Celsius, yeah. FTX, these big newsworthy events that happened, um, and so. While that's unfortunate, I don't think that it's necessarily any different from previous cycles that we've seen. Crypto is kind of subject to these 
boom and bust cycles with public yeah. perception changing pretty drastically through those market cycles. And I don't really think that this one's any different. Um, what's really important from our perspective as a research team, a team that seeks to put out industry-leading um, uh, education, is I'm, I'm trying to explain that FTX and Celsius are not crypto or blockchain. Did they use crypto assets in order to commit some of the supposed fraud that they did? Yeah. Um, yes, that is that is accurate. They they did use that as the vehicle. Does that mean that that was a failure of the underlying technology? No, it's not. Um, yeah. It's simply there's there's ways that people can use um, assets, whether it be um, digital assets or traditional assets, to commit crimes. Um, and in this case, it's no different. So it's about trying to bring that education to investors to spread awareness that this isn't a a digital assets issue. It's a a bad actor issue. Um, so while I think 2022 did some harm in regard to public perception from previous experience, public perception changes very quickly. And I think you see that happening right now. We're getting many more inbound uh, calls and questions about Bitcoin, uh, blockchain, and just what the investment opportunity is now that the market's kind of turned around a bit. Interesting. So you, it sounds like you guys definitely noticed like a cooling off period after call it last summer when crypto blew up, but people have calmed down and are starting to look at the space again more closely. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Um, And that's, like I said, I think that's to be expected, um, especially if you're talking about financial advisors that have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients. Um, It's understandable that it's a um, kind of stand back before, you know, do your research before taking the leap. Um, So that's the kind of behavior that we want to see from clients. And that's why we exist as a research team is to make sure that when we are getting allocations to our investment products, that our partners are comfortable and confident in what they're investing in, rather than kind of you know closing their eyes and hoping for the best. Sure, yeah. When it's interesting, you go direct to like financial advisors because that's where a lot of my career has been and working with wealth managers of various sizes across the U.S. Um, do you? I guess in terms of, again, your sort of client breakdown and who you see interested, do you see a lot of retail high net worth family office advisors starting to come your way and like ask these questions? Or are you seeing more of it, I guess, on pure institutional pools like pensions and endowments and stuff like that? Uh, I would say it runs the gamut. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I would say it runs the gamut. Um, there's there's always, I think, our products, BKCH in particular, is is really... Um, unique in the space and that it really offers a pure play approach to crypto. A lot of, a lot of products in the space that are quote unquote blockchain or digital asset ETF products that are investing in publicly traded equities. A lot of the companies in those products are what I would call blockchain related companies, but a lot of them are also a bit of a stretch uh, in terms of just how pure play you're getting. Yeah, I think something that I'm really proud about with BKCH uh, and Bits is that it really takes, it really prioritizes the pure play companies first. And sure. I think that a lot of the different types of investors, whether they be, you know, family offices for high net worth uh, 
clients or institutions or retail investors, I think that's a highly attractive opportunity for them. And you're seeing that play out this year. Um, BKCH has performed incredibly well. Um, so I think we're up, I'm looking at it right now, we're up 225% on the year. Um, oh, wow. And that's what, and that's what happens when you get, uh, when you take a sure. exposure to digital assets through companies like a miner who might be more, um, who might have more financial leverage on their balance sheet, you get these outsized returns in positive markets. Yeah, I, I'm actually looking at your holdings list on BKCH too. And uh, just to, I guess, highlight your point, like I don't see my, I don't see MicroStrat on here, but no, it, but yeah. in the news, right? Everyone loves Michael Saylor or, well, love, hate Michael Saylor. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, as, as MicroStrategy grows its Bitcoin holdings on its balance sheet, it's becoming more of, a you know derivative exposure to Bitcoin, but yeah, to your point, it's not a it's not a blockchain company. It's not a you're yeah. you're trying to get exposure to the underlying Bitcoin, but that's why we offer a product like Bits, which actually has Bitcoin futures contracts in it, right. and so it kind of blends the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Are just curious. Are all these uh, the holdings in BKCH? Are they all U.S. concentrated, or is it global exposure? It's global exposure. Um, I have data as of uh, the 30th of June in front of me, and it looks like about 73% of the fund uh, was U.S. domiciled companies, um, with 25% being Canadian. So it's heavily North American um, domiciled. Um, And then you have like a smattering of like 1% in the U.K., 1% in Germany. Um, yeah. So it's very, it's more of EU and North American companies. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And with an ETF like this, how do you guys, I mean, how do you manage it? I mean, it sounds like it's a fairly active exposure on your guys' part. How do you evaluate these companies? So it's actually, um, BKCH is actually completely passively managed. Um, it is, which is why we're able to offer such low fees on it, um, which is one of the, um, as I mentioned, like one of the really attractive aspects of ETF products is that it's sure. a really cost-effective way for investors to get uh, diversified exposure. Yeah. So I, I believe we're at 50 basis points expense ratio, and that's 0.5%, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is very competitive in the space. Um, and it, we, it, BKCH simply tracks a custom index that, that we've created. Um, Bits, on the other hand, is a quote unquote, actively managed fund. It's not really actively managed in the traditional sense. Um, The active component comes simply from the process of having to uh, sell, sell, roll Bitcoin futures contracts. So selling the upcoming contract and buying the next one. Um, Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's a, it's a 50% is BKCH. So it's a, it's a passively managed fund for all intents and purposes. Okay. I mean, is it, um, so this index that you reference, what what goes into that index? How do you think about that? Yeah, so there's a number of rules that go into the index. Um, and like I mentioned before, um, the overarching rule of the index is to prioritize companies that are what we refer to as pure play digital asset companies. So sure. these are companies that uh, the rule is set up such that these companies have to earn 50% or more of their revenues from digital asset or blockchain related businesses or revenue okay. streams. 
So companies that would fall in this category could be like a Coinbase or a Riot Platforms or a HUD8 mining company, you know, um, businesses that are fully into the digital asset space and that's their bread and butter. Um, so the, the, the methodology is such that we seek to hold a minimum of 25 companies. And of those, we will take uh, as many pure play companies as there are out there and weight them uh, accordingly to market cap. Beyond that, if we can't get to 25 companies from a pure play perspective, that's when we start to introduce um, pre-revenue companies. So these are companies that um, are fully involved in the digital assets business, but may not be producing revenue quite yet. So these are very early stage publicly traded companies. Sure. And then if we still are unable to get to 25 companies from there, then we'll start to add in um, what we call diversified companies, which are companies that are heavily tilted towards digital assets, uh, but not, but less than 50% of their revenues come from the digital assets business. So you might think of a company like, uh, like uh, Block, which used to be Square, sure. which is yeah. heavily involved in uh, digital assets business. It's why Jack Dorsey wanted to change the name to Block. Um, but it's not 50% of the revenue doesn't come from, um, from blockchain activities. Um, so I can see here as of 630, 92% of the uh, index was held in pure play companies. So these okay. companies that earn more than 50% of their revenue in, uh, from digital asset revenue streams. Okay. And uh, eight, about 8% were in the diversified uh, bucket. Okay. And... How, like how often do you reference this index? Is it just monthly or is it like a daily reference? So it's, a, it it's a daily, it's, well, it's a, I mean, it is, it's rebalanced twice a year. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, every six months, the index is rebalanced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, then I mean, after that, it, it, the, the exposure is blown after that based on just trading and market cap. Sure. Have you had many companies drop out of the index or come in over the lifetime of the the product yeah, there's there's i don't have the exact turnover numbers but there's definitely some turnover as you would expect it tends to be on the lower weighting side of the product sure. because yeah. there are revenue or there are size requirements in this fund yeah. um, so you have to be a company of a certain size and if you don't meet that threshold then um, sure. you're, you're booted from the fund and and new companies are added Yep. Um, so the big companies in the fund, those that have heavy weightings, Coinbase, Marathon, uh, Marathon, the mining company, you know, these bigger companies are pretty solid. Um, yeah. But there is some turnover in the lower end of the uh, lower weighting uh, part of the fund. Sure. Um, yeah. For instance, a recent addition was Robinhood, which kind of falls oh, yeah. into that diversified play. Yeah, but that was a recent is, addition. Yeah. Yeah. eventually at the last rebalance had met the criteria to be okay. um, added. So, um, so yes, there's some turnover, but it's not uh, overwhelming at the, at the top half of the fund. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Do you guys plan on, I mean, I assume you, well, I'll just let you answer maybe. <laughs> um, what, what's next for Global X as far as digital assets goes? Like, how do you guys think about the next one, three, five? It's a great question. Um, so one of the things that I love about Global X is the leadership um, is not afraid of um, having their 
viewpoints expressed and they're not afraid to take, um, you know, educated, um, I don't want to call them bets because they're not bets, but they're not, they're not afraid from expressing their viewpoints. Um, and because of that, um, Global X, which was building out its digital assets business uh, for the past two years, our management didn't flinch once, once we went through 2022. Um, and wow. that, as a you know, the head of our research team, um, as well as the you know our head of distribution, our head of product, it provided us with the confidence to be able to continue plowing forward and, and making progress. Um, so ultimately, we've been able to create a uh, a longer term plan of trying to provide investors with as many different ways to get exposure to this asset class as possible. So one leg of that bucket is. Um, is to provide a, uh, products that offer exposure to uh, the publicly traded side of the digital assets business. So this is through products like BKCH or Bits that we've been discussing here. We also have businesses in Europe um, that where we offer products. And because of just different regulations there, we're also able to provide, uh, to create products that offer more direct exposure to digital assets through sure. um, slightly different wrappers. So we have um, a Uniswap fund, we have an Ethereum fund, a Bitcoin oh, wow. fund, um, as well as Aave and Chainlink. So being able to provide exposure in this kind of like, they're called ETPs, exchange traded products that okay. allow European investors to gain more direct exposure to some crypto assets. So those um, are basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the ETP is as close as an equivalent to an ETF in the US is... It's, it's close. Yeah, it's close. There's there's some there's some nuance to them, but but yes, it's it's very close to what you would sure. think of as an ETF. And these are physically backed products. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's you know the custodian is holding. If you buy our Ethereum product in Europe, you the custodian is holding the underlying asset either. Sure. Yeah. Um. So that's a that's another. We're seeking. We are we are looking at Europe as a very promising market to be able to continue to launch some of these funds and offer a little bit more uh, crypto native exposure, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then we've also built, sorry. Oh, quick question there. Do you, mm -hmm. do you notice clients wanting more native exposure or do people prefer like an ETF or an ETP or some other managed product? I think it depends on the demographic. Um, just yeah. purely anecdotally, I would say that younger investors are more interested in having the direct exposure to crypto yeah. assets. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of advantages that come with the ETF route, um, even for any demographic, but particularly for like a financial advisor, let's say, who's sure. managing money on behalf of their client. If you have an ETF, you get the exposure to the underlying digital assets. But you can kind of keep everything in the same universe. So you can have, you know, the same reporting software. You can, yeah. you can have your digital assets exposure there and the tax reporting software, you know, all of that kind of integrates well. And yeah. so there's myriad reasons why you might want to go the ETF route. But there are a lot of investors out there. I mean, you know, peers of mine and, and younger um, who really want that more authentic crypto experience. Um, and I think that that's... That's great as well. And something sure, yeah. that we at Global X are also trying to provide solutions for. So kind of the, the 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 third horizon that we're looking at at Global X is we're building out a suite of what are called SMAs, separately managed accounts. Yeah. yeah. Um, that provide us with a way to offer 
investors with access to kind of diversified buckets of crypto assets. So we have three products right now. We have a mega cap SMA. So this is 50% Bitcoin, 50% Ether. We have a large cap, which is the top five uh, largest crypto assets um, that meet certain criteria. So like stable coins aren't included in this universe. And also... There's just a, a variety of other uh, considerations that are made uh, for for other assets that may be deemed to potentially be securities, things like that, um, that aren't included in that product. Um, and then we also have a mid-cap SMA, which holds uh, the top 10 largest crypto assets by market cap, but excluding Bitcoin and Ethereum. Oh, okay. Um, so we are trying to find creative ways to... Um, work within the current guidelines, the regulatory guidelines, to be able to provide investors with different ways to get exposure. Like I said, whether that's through the ETF wrapper and the publicly traded universe, or whether that's through a diversified approach to investing directly in crypto assets. Um, So we're trying to cover all our bases. Yeah. How would the SMA work in the US? Are you guys actually <clears throat> taking custody of the underlying or how how exactly is it structured? Is it accredited only? Um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's not accredited only. And we at GlobalX do not take uh, custody of any funds. We work with third party custodians. Okay. Um, but there's a set of there's a set like our passive products, there's a set of rules um, that exist. Um, and uh, the fund is managed passively to comply with those guidelines, like any ETF product would would be structured. Um, okay. So there's there's rebalances um, and um, and basically all the crypto assets are held at a qualified custodian. Um, and we work with partners like uh, OnRamp, if you've heard of OnRamp yeah, yeah. or or Eagle Brook. We're we're yeah. partnering with them yeah. to provide kind of that uh, turnkey. Uh, asset management experience for clients. Um, Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to kind of loop back to the ETF thing because you reminded me of it. Do you you guys believe in actively managed ETFs or do you tend to make them all more rules-based or Um, responsive? Yeah. Um, So I would say, not wanting to talk for our product team, I would say that there is certainly an appetite for both, but... um, GlobalX's bread and butter is offering investors um, very convenient, cost-effective, um, thematic investment products. So because of that, um, the co- one of the greatest attributes, as I mentioned about ETS, is the, is the cost efficiency of them. Sure. You can really maximize that with a uh, passively managed product. So that is where the vast majority of our offerings sit and probably what GlobalX is most well known for. That said, there's we are actively exploring um, you know, different ways that we can provide unique exposures to uh, the asset class for investors. So um, okay. certainly open to open to explore any route, but I would say our bread and butter is certainly the passive route. Okay. Okay. So maybe maybe that opens up a good segue to everything else at GlobalX outside of uh, digital. What what are you guys working on? What's interesting? What are people buying? What do people like? Um, maybe walk down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So what I think is really interesting about Global X is so we kind of 
our products kind of broadly fit into two buckets. We have this thematic suite, which we're probably most well known for from our um, more retail driven in, in investor base being able to invest in, you know, get very particular with your exposure, whether that's infrastructure, healthcare, digital assets, what have you. Yep. Um, and that really saw a boom in 2020 and 2021 um, as the retail investor got really interested in investing. Um, but what I also think is great about Global X is that we also have a, a totally separate branch um, of products, which are kind of more of our income suite of products. So these products are uh, providing um, a, a lot of them are like covered call strategies, if you also like income yeah. generating products yeah. or fixed income products. But yeah. once again, true to Global X's roots, packaging these products in a way that once again allows the investor to get very specific with what exposures they want. So if that's buying yeah. fixed income securities from a given country, or equity securities of a given country, like if you want to invest in uh, the largest equities in domiciled in Vietnam or Pakistan, we have products that can offer you that exposure. Um, that. If you want to write covered calls on the S&P 500, we have that. If you want to write covered calls on the Russell 2000, we also have. Sure. So it's kind of, once again, having this um, kind of broad array of products that allows investors to get to get as specific as they want to get or as broad as they want to get. And in doing so, being able to provide investors with like a, a kind of a one-stop shop for what they need in their portfolio. Um, so, so 2022, really big year for covered calls. We saw a lot okay. of volatility in the market. And yeah. so that income suite really um, performed quite well during that time. Now that we're getting into like the AI conversation, digital assets are performing well, thematics coming back. Um, so, gotcha, you know, okay. we're, we're able to kind of offer a little bit of everything, regardless of what market cycle you're in or where you are in the cycle. Gotcha. So what, uh, I guess, what are the things that our clients are coming to you guys with the most right now? What are the themes that people are putting on? Uh, AI. Huge. Okay, sure. AI <laughs> is huge. Every, I mean, as you know, I mean, it's just, you know, you go to the gym and everyone's talking yeah. about AI. Everyone's got an yeah. opinion on uh, NVIDIA, what their latest chips are going to look. So um, yeah. I think we're certainly going through a bit of a realization among investors that this AI thing is is quite powerful and is going to change the way that we live our lives on a going forward basis. Um, yeah. You know, it's just dominating the conversation right now. So I would say like a, our, one of our products, AIQ, um, has gotten a lot of interest. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say that that is probably the been the overwhelming favorite recently. We've had a lot of other strong performing products, but AI certainly captured the uh, the zeitgeist of the moment. So um, okay, yeah. Here, here's a fun one. If you're going to be contrarian, where would you go? Like maybe maybe is digital maybe, assets not contrarian enough. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it depends who you're talking to, right? Yeah. No, um, I mean, it's a yeah. good question. It's a good question. I would say, um, ooh, that is a good question. I was yeah. going to be contrarian right now. I mean, hmm. I, I would have to say, I mean, not as a cop out, but I, I, I know digital assets has performed really well. I mean, to me, I still talk to people, you know, in my everyday life, family, friends, and they're still um, trying to get a grasp of what it is that I'm even doing. Um, so to me, um, you know, having gone through 2017, 
2020 and 2021, and then the most recent downturn. I mean, the industry has a ton of promise, but there's still a lot of question marks about um, what the future of digital assets is going to look like. So while the industry has certainly bounced really hard off of the bottoms that we set in November and December, I mean, to me, digital assets is a contrarian bet still. Um, yeah. So I know it's a bit of a cop-out and <laughs> talking my own, my own vertical here. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm still, I, I'm still highly confident in the space, have a lot of conviction in the future. Um, and that's why I spend my days trying to um, shed light on the opportunity for those who might not want to spend 99% of their time digging into what Ethereum is or sure. you know what smart contracts are. Sure. Uh, maybe another way to ask this is, are there any cracks in the system and that you guys are kind of watching? Uh, mm-hmm. Things that might cause trouble down the road. I think we're at an interesting inflection point right now with macroeconomic policy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of gone on this, I mean, the fastest rate hiking cycle that we've ever seen in terms of the, the pace of rate hikes and the uh, the rate of change, um, basically going off of zero interest rates to over 550 basis points in a little bit over a year. Inevitably, that's going to create some stresses in the economy. And I think that that came to a head in March of this year with yeah. the Silicon Valley Bank and yeah, you know that whole public, et cetera, et cetera, public yeah. that whole crisis. Um, so while short lived, you know the Fed was able to come in with a ton of money and, and kind of save the day. Yeah, I do think that it was kind of an eye opening moment for everyone that uh, everyone was waiting for the Fed to quote unquote break something, um, and I think that, that was the first sign that perhaps. Sure the interest rate hikes had had started to grab hold. Um, so from my perspective, I think from a lot of people at Global X, we remain really constrictive on the macro picture. I think you're seeing uh, corporate earnings really hang in there. I think you're seeing the consumer really hang in there, though conditions are definitely getting a little bit tighter for the consumer. Um, but I think that the potential uh, change in narrative from my perspective is I think a lot of people are thinking that the Fed is not going to hold true to its promise to keep rates higher for longer. And my perspective is that inflation, while coming down very rapidly, is going to remain persistent for quite some time. And if the Federal Reserve really is serious about keeping interest rates or to keeping uh, inflation, getting it back to 2%, that we are going to have to keep rates higher for longer. And um, I think for the really big tech companies, I don't think that'll be an issue because these companies are huge, have giant balance sheets. They, they fired get, all their employees too. So they fired <laughs> they fired all their employees and they can, I mean, Apple's able to, you know, finance all of its operations just off the cash on its balance sheet if it wanted to. Yeah. So it's yeah. not paying, it's not gonna pay the exorbitant interest rates that an early stage company might. But for the companies that are a little bit less, are a little bit more precarious. Uh, situations from a balance sheet perspective, I think you're going, if we keep rates higher for longer for another year, um, I think you're eventually going to start to see more stresses in the system like you saw with Silicon Valley Bank. Do I think that there's going to be a giant bank run? No, that's I, that's not really what I'm trying to say. But I think that you will potentially see this kind of background rolling recession happen. I think that's probably already been happening under the surface yeah. for for months now. And I think yep. that it's we are right now in a phase where everyone's 
very excited about the markets and thinking that we're all the bad news is behind us. The new well, I think market. We're <laughs> exactly. And well, I think that there's some credence to that. Um, I am also not willing to kind of, you know, bet the farm right now. Um, so I think, I think that there's going to be some sobering up to do at some point. Um, the extent of which I, I don't, I can't sure. predict, but um, you know, I, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, that's a very measured response. I was hoping for like some crazy hot take, but that was pretty. We're good. all going to zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I. I mean, just from my seat, obviously, I'm not as involved day to day in markets as you are, but I've been very surprised, I guess, at how well things have held up. Which you know, maybe toots J Powell's horn a minute for like air quotes soft landing. We did it! Hooray! But I just can't believe that 550 basis points in a year, year and a half is I don't think there's any chance that we've seen that fully manifest itself in the system just yet. So I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Um, I think the market, uh, you know, as I think about it, I think the amount of money out there in 401ks and pension plans has, sure. has to have something to do with it. There is always a buyer of the market. Yeah. So you can have these temporary drawdowns. I think you know it's it takes a lot to move the market to the downside. It's like a everyone uses this terminology, but it really is like trying to hold a beach ball under the surface of the water. It's like yeah. eventually it's going to find a way to break the surface. Yeah. What I've been really interested about is um, I think a market dynamic that's super interesting is um, you know you think about the kind of the risk return curve as you go further out you're taking on more risk but you're potentially having greater upside and to me digital assets for a lot of people sits at far out on that risk oh, return sure. curve yeah. Yeah. yeah and so what that means from a market perspective um, at least what we've seen historically and when and when I talk about this I'm really just concentrating on conversation on big digital assets like Bitcoin and ethereum in particular. Yeah. Yep. You really see these assets front run the market move almost almost every time, whether it's to the downside or the upside. You're seeing Bitcoin bottomed in November of last year. Ethereum bottomed in, I want to say, June of last year. I mean, Ethereum front ran the market bottom by months. Um, yeah. So it's just really interesting to yeah. see that happen. And, and what you've seen since the beginning of the year is Ethereum has, and Bitcoin alike, have have performed very well and kind of led the market out of this kind of uh, downward trajectory. So I think it's kind of interesting to be able to use these more speculative, quote unquote, if you want to call them that, assets to look for kind of signal in the market as a whole. That's, um, that's interesting. Um, do you kind of think that maybe the psychology of at least, you know, the crypto market has to do with just everyone who is invested currently? tends to be, I would probably argue, a more savvy investor than, say, your traditional retail investor? Like, do you kind of see that, like, or think that, you know, say, say like, last summer, you know, you saw Terra Luna, uh, you saw Celsius, you saw FTX. Obviously, it was a huge black eye for public-facing, uh, you know, crypto um, reputation. But a lot of the industry was upset, but it would appear that they were like, no, these are all CFI central, you know, centralized uh, finance fraudulent things. Like this is all just classic fraud. This is not what crypto is. So people just kept going, at least in the industry. Do you kind of feel like there's like a little psychology there between 
you know, I guess your point of crypto just front running the market and maybe the people who are in crypto? I think markets in general are these like very interesting incubators for human psychology experiments, (laughs) Uh, whether we want to believe it or not. Um, you know, there's obviously a role of like, well, there's so much trading now happens because of algorithms. Um, and I think we're going to see more AI playing a role in how markets are traded. So there's obviously some component of that taken out, but what I think is really interesting is that human psychology plays such a big role in markets, fear, greed. These are like very visceral, um, emotions that dominate so many the ways that so many people invest whether you're a savvy investor a professional investor or a retail investor obviously the most successful investors in history are the ones that are able to kind of look at the investment landscape without being triggered by fear and greed um so I don't know if I'm really answering your question. What I what I would say is that yeah. um, well, I think that crypto, I think crypto markets tend to be perhaps a little bit more dominated by that psychology than traditional markets because it tends to be more retail focused and there's less kind of institutional presence, less algorithms in the space. Um, but I think both are are subject to to that behavior. The the other thing that I think is interesting is um I think we're starting to see like kind of a new breed of investor come around. Perhaps those who got their start investing in 2020 and 2021. These investors who are the expectation is always for a V-shaped recovery. Like what you saw in 2020. Yeah. It's like if you didn't buy the bottom March 20th or 18th of 2020, it's like you missed your shot. Yeah. Um and people kept thinking that the market was going to go down again. And all it did was perform well. And so I think that there's this fear, like this FOMO among this new breed of investors, this new generation that is always anticipating a V-shaped recovery. And because of that, it's it's propping the market up because every oh, okay. every dip is being bought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One. And you saw in 2022 that briefly take a pause. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we raised 550 basis points. We saw Silicon Valley Bank, you know, have issues. There were cracks in the system, and here we are at you know pushing forty five hundred in the S and P. So um, it's interesting. Um, it's, the degree you can't underestimate psychology. Yeah, it's super interesting. I kind of come back to this like bifurcation of just sort of the economy in general. Like some things are doing really well, and then some things are not doing really well. And I think you could. I think it's an interesting thought process to go through like what markets represent, who like who makes those decisions, what are their views, you know. Yep. Um, and the importance of like distinguishing the market from the economy. While they ostensibly should be related, sure. oftentimes they're they're disconnected from one another. Yep. Um so but I you know, I think I have also been encouraged. I think a lot of people at Global X are, are really encouraged by the continued resilience of the U.S. consumer. Like that is also cannot be underestimated. The U.S. consumer is this incredibly powerful network group of people. And, um, you know, even though there have been all the rate hikes and, um, you know, layoffs, there's still, I mean, people are traveling like crazy. Um, You know, people want to buy stuff. People want to go out. They want to live their lives. 
And so even though you're seeing kind of these, you know, the average credit card balance held by your right. average retail I, consumer, like I was going to say, yeah. Go up, like you are. These people are still spending. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I live in New York City. Streets are mugged every day. I mean, huh. everyone's lining up to get go to the new ice cream shop. You know, even though the ice yeah. cream is fifteen dollars now, oh, um, so there's an appetite to spend. Um, and I think it's so long as that appetite exists, it's going to be really hard for for earnings and and, yeah. and market sentiment to to drop significantly at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got into financial services right after college in 2013. And I, you know, I thought for sure we were going to have some kind of longer, more protracted GFC by this point. But I keep getting denied that reality, which is probably a good thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing. It's a it's a good thing for humanity. Maybe maybe you missed a little bit of an opportunity in your um in your portfolio, but you know. What I always like to try to do, and I think it's always prudent for people to do, is you know, markets are driven by momentum a lot of the time. I always keep something on the side where you can take advantage of opportunities sure, yeah. if and when fear comes back. Um, in no place is that more true than in crypto markets, which can turn insanely quickly. Viciously. <laughs> yeah, viciously, and I can I can attest to that personally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think it's all about like, when you're talking about investor considerations, whether you're talking about S&P or whether you're talking about buying Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's, you know, for 99% of us, it's what's your three-year view, your five-year view, your 10-year view. Um, yeah. And if you have conviction on that viewpoint, then, you know, it becomes a lot easier to sleep at night. Like when I, I own, you know, let's say Bitcoin, Ethereum in my portfolio, highly convicted in the space, it's not hard for me to sleep at night because I sure, I yeah. have done my research in the space and and I have a vision for what it looks like. So if it goes down 30% tomorrow, will it be it's on sale? And we'll, yeah, it, exactly. That, and that's and that's how I tend to try to look at it, obviously. Um, but it's also obviously about maintaining like very strict um, portfolio allocations as well. So not go over your skis either. Um, sizing everything appropriately is incredibly yeah. important and cannot be under uh, overestimated. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, and this kind of touches on like a, pet point of mine, I guess, is just like basic financial education is just sorely lacking. And, you know, you like particularly last summer when you saw like FTX and Celsius and all this stuff, you saw these horror stories of people putting way too much money into a dream. And, you know, then they got rugged and that dream turned into a nightmare. And, you know, for most people who've grown up with a financial services education, you're at least aware that you're taking a big bet, you Mm -hmm. know? A lot of people, I feel like, don't have that. And I think, I mean, part of this is why I've hitched my ride to the wealth management industry, but I do really believe that just basic concepts, maybe not even like sizing positions, you could call that like, you know, your college level class, but just like saving, you know, like not in your savings account, but in, say, maybe a global XETF or the Mm -hmm. SPY, S&P 500, Mm -hmm. whatever, and just buying dollar cost yep and it's about and it's also just about um even in really really simple terms it's just almost using like your street smarts about you like especially in the industry like crypto where there's so much promise but there's also a lot of people out there that want to capitalize on an opportunity general rule of thumb as with most things in life if it sounds too good to be true it it usually is Um, yeah 
And so if someone's presenting you with the opportunity to earn 20% yield every year risk-free, you know, take a look at, you know, just just do the sanity check. Does that make sense in my head? Can someone afford to do that? The answer is, if the answer is no, then probably worth taking a second look. Um, so that's yeah. that's kind of, and that's and that's once again not to keep him at the same point, but that's really what our mission is um, on our global exit digital assets research team is how do we separate the signal from the noise, and how do we ensure that investors are as well equipped as possible to approach this frontier market and frontier industry um, and be equipped with the tools to be able to make prudent investment decisions. Because at the end of the day, it's not about trying to get the 100x overnight. It's about you know steady accumulation and growth of capital over time um, in a manner that can allow you to sleep at night. Sure. Um, like That's the most important thing. So it's um, what we're all about. Yeah. And that might be a good place to leave it. I know Everyone wants to win the lottery, but the odds are not great on that. So yeah, yeah. If you if you find out how, let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool, Eric. Uh, maybe let's leave it here. We're at about an hour. Is there anything else you kind of want to finish with? Like, where can people find you? Track your work, all that sort of stuff. I would recommend everyone go to the Global X ETFs website. You can check out our insights tab, um, and you can search for all of our digital assets research. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best place to to find us. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Eric, thanks for joining and uh, welcome back anytime, man. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Great to be here. Cool.